For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is Denise Michaels, and I am here with Chris Moses. And today is Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. Hi, Chris. Hello, Denise. <laughs> I love it when you have like this calm, dulcet. Welcome to WECW 107.7, <laughs> the only legal drug on campus. Yeah, right. The only legal drug on campus. They probably said that in something like that at my school, too. So, anyway. All right. So, today we've decided to add a chapter into this just because it makes sense. Um, and that has to do with hiring for sanity. You know, hiring is a big HR function um, that's pretty important. So, I'm going to ask you a question that sounds really obvious, but it should come from you. And that is, why is it important to hire for sanity? Why is it important to hire for sanity? Well, if you right. hire, not the when hiring for sanity, what, what I mean is you're not necessarily doing personality tests. You're you're hiring the right person to fit the right job. If you hire somebody and you give them a song and a dance and what they're going to do, and then they find out shortly after leaving a job that they've come to your company and they're not going to be doing that job, they're going to be stuck there for two or three years doing a job they don't want to do until they can have enough time on their resume to go find a new job to do what they really want to do. Right. Does that make so, any sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And, and, and I mean, that's kind of in the outline, what we're going to be talking about. Um, in terms of hiring for sanity, in terms of um, how they're going to get along with others, is that a factor? Do you kind of look at that when you're sizing mm -hmm. the person up? No, I never do. I, I know there's a lot of people that say oh, I, I, they have to fit with the team. They have to fit okay. the culture. Well, what if your team is filled with a bunch of idiots, and what if your culture is horrible? Well, then you're just making that person fit a bad culture and fit a bad team. Right. When you're, when you're hiring, you want them to, to fit what you're about. So we talked about part. I hire right. people who know how to protect data, who are accurate, results-oriented, and can do, do things timely. Do mm -hmm. I care that Mary gets along with Marcy? No, I don't. I don't care if their personalities match. But they will become great friends when Mary and Marcy realize by working together to get things of the part done correctly, your team works wonders. They, they'll get along great. Right. Yeah, I think I think when when you're hiring people, you forget about the what they're really there to do. You're uh, Mary Marcy. Marcy doesn't like them. He thinks that that person's too snobby or doesn't talk enough or this or that. All these people are making psychological assessments, and nobody is certified psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever the word is. Right. Do you think that's a common mistake in HR departments where people 
you know, hire others based on how they think they're going to get along with everybody first yes. and then based on their qualifications second? You're, yeah, that's correct. Your shareholders or owners of companies do not care if you get along. They care if you're adding value to the organization. Just right. seems to work kind of odd that if you're adding value to your team through whatever your your mission is, mine being part, that the team just gets along great. And I, I've hired people who people hate. The, the, the My HRS person, Mary, we'll have to change her name in the book, but I can't stand Mary. I think Mary's a pain in the ass. I'd like to shoot Mary. I'd line her up and shoot her if I could. But the thing is, <laughs> Mary, is that, did I say you want a cigarette before I shoot you? <laughs> Uh, Mary is accurate. Mary works her butt off. She protects the data. If she says it's going to be here tomorrow, it's going to be here tomorrow. I don't have to worry about it. Would I rather have a Mary who is going to be really critical on my work to make sure that I'm accurate? Or would I rather have somebody who I just kind of care about? Like, oh, we're good friends and let's hire our friends. I think friendship and work is great. It's, it's awesome. You have great, great friends. I know there's some books out there that say, one of the, I forgot what it was, but the 10 things that you need to at work and one is your a best friend. It's mm-hmm. hard to have a friend on your team if you're not helping them out. Once you guys start right. helping each other out, you build that friendship. You have to have a basis for the friendship. Right. And if, all, if your only basis is that you went to the same college, you guys both like sushi, you're not going to survive. Sure. sure. Does this sound all weird well, and odd? This is a big turnoff. It, it sounds like the basis for friendship becomes that we're all in this together. We all want to do quality work. We we all want to fulfill part, you know, protect the data, accuracy, and, you know, those steps. Um, and, and that becomes sort of the basis for the friendship. Yeah, it is. And getting, and getting a great team. I, I hired this one guy, Ben, once. And I don't know if we want to put this in the book or if we can spin it some way. So I had a, a team of all women. And so I hired Ben. And I'm like, I have a boy. This is great. Ben was accurate. Ben was this. Ben was everything that I wanted for, and he, you know, he was a, a men's man. He, we'd go out, we'd joke around. I had a party at my house. I said, bring your significant other. Guess who he brought? Who did he bring? Jeff. <laughs> okay. But the, the, the whole thing is that it didn't matter. I don't care that Ben's gay. I never even asked him. It never crossed my mind because that wasn't a qualification of being my friend or being on my team. Sure. Do you believe in the part? Can you do the part? Can you do this and this? All that other stuff is secondary. I mean, I like you to right. shower once in a while, but, but yeah, Ben yeah. being gay doesn't matter. Then missing yeah. an eye. Then yeah. anyway. if, if, he's, if you're rude and mean to each other, then you're not going to get the result. So it kind of works in that you're respectable, you're consistent, you're fair with each other, you help each other out, because that helps get great results. Right, right. So Ben worked well with all the women on your team then? Yeah, some of them actually knew he was gay, and they never told me. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> It was the funniest party ever. He walks in. I'm like, who's this? We well, said, bring a significant other. I'm like, oh, hi. Good to meet you. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to have, grab, a, grab a beer or wine or whatever you want to drink out of here. Right, right. Okay. 
So the first thing we have here on the outline, you know, I just kind of wanted to get some of that definition out of the way, you know, for the for the chapter. It says, are you being honest with the role you're hiring for? And you kind of hinted at that at the beginning of the conversation. Do the qualifications for the job really fit the job? Okay. And what will they really be doing? Are you saying that people write, like, job descriptions that aren't really accurate? Yeah, all the time. Too many times. I would guess 50% of job descriptions are wrong. Really? Temp- probably 25% are blatantly wrong. Horribly wrong. Why do, you, why do you think that's true? Why would they write it wrong? Well, well maybe it's titled wrong, but it's just wrong. It's, I want to hire a compensation analyst who's going to analyze data, do trending, do all this stuff that, are, that right. an analyst would do. They come to the job and they find themselves pricing jobs. Uh, calculating merit increases, calculating bonuses. When you're calculating programs, you're really administering. I I think probably 75% of analytical jobs in HR are really administration jobs. They're really just administering right. stuff. Now, sometimes, uh, I think, uh, let's just be fair, I guess, a lot of them will put in the job description you're going to calculate bonus and stuff. But then they'll also put all this analytics stuff. And the thing is, on the analytics, it's less than 5% of your job during the year. So you hire somebody who's in an administrative job who says, you know, I'm so tired of administering programs. I really want to be an analyst. I want to do the numbers. I want to build dashboards and do Excel and all these great things analysts can do. I want to change the world and help the company be successful. You toss them in a role, and then they're doing administration again for more than half their job. They're like, this is a bunch of BS. That's not what I signed up for. You told me this was an analyst role. Mm-hmm. My my role at Solera, for example, I was hired in to be the vice president of total rewards. So, but in the book, you'll probably want to put, for example, one of my clients, not Chris. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Uh, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to downsize my 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 responsibility. But they hired me as a VP of total rewards. I spent half my time analyzing data and administering data. I went to one board meeting. Um, my first three months, and then I never went to another board meeting. Mm-hmm. And on my, the first thing on my job description was board interaction. Uh, present compensation materials to the comp committee. Well, I didn't do any of that. I ended up just, I, I was really a total rewards manager. I was, I was managing compensation, benefits, HRS payroll, just to make sure they kept moving along. There was no strategy to it. They knew they wanted to sell the company before they contacted before they hired me. Oh, that's the other thing I should put you to talk about. They hired at this company, they hired a VP of investor relations. They gave him an offer, I think he started in June or July. Mm-hmm. And then his first week on the job, he you know, investor relations, that's a person who deals with stock and shareholders, right? Sure, sure. Okay. First week on the job he goes into a meeting and they say we're selling the company to a private equity firm. So you hired this guy to be your VP of investor relations, and then you right. tell him in six months he's not going to have a job. Wow. You completely lied to the guy. And it gets worse. The company then says, well, you, you came here and you, uh, you moved. It cost $100,000 for the move. So if you leave, you have to pay us back $100,000. For your relocation. And so now you have this person who's in a job that's going away 
and that's their career. They want to be a VP Investor Relations, and, you have to, and you're telling them, if you leave because we lied to you about your job and that your job's going away, you have to take a job that you don't want now. You want to be a VP of Finance, and the person doesn't want to do that. And we're going to hurt your career because once you go to the VP of Finance, you can't go back to Investor Relations. Or right. you pay us $100,000. Wow. So wow. I stepped in and I called the CEO. I said, this is stupid. You can't charge the guy $100,000. You guys lied to him. He's like, we didn't lie. We didn't know we were going to sell it. I'm like, bullshit. You knew you were selling it. You know, before the day he stepped on campus that you were already in talks. You started these talks way back from before I was sorry, but officially in, in February and March they were talking about it. So while he was interviewing, they knew they were going to sell the company. Jeez. Why do so what do they do? They lied to him. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think managers and leaders are not honest in terms of, you know, describing what the job is going to be? I think there's, there's two reasons. One, they want to get a great player. They want to get somebody who's knowledgeable and who can do this type of work. So if you get a if you get a really hardcore analyst, they can administer anything because analysts are really numbers people. Administrators, eh, they're not that great. I mean, they're, they're okay, but they're not as, as uh, I don't know, analytical, mathematical as a as a true analyst. The other reason crunching. which I – what's that? Number crunching. Number crunching, yeah. The other reason I think people lie is they're hopeful. They, they put this job together, and you know how hard it is for companies to change. So they right. go and they say, we want this job to do these things. I want you to come in and change all the benefits or change all this stuff. And then the person comes in and says, let's change it. And then people say, no. They freaked out. Sure. Sure. So how can leaders and managers make sure that the qualifications, like a written job description, for example, really fits the job? They have to be honest with themselves. They have to really look at... What is the role doing? When this person comes in in their first few months, what is their real job going to be? And if you say, well, to change stuff, they have to be, it has to be more than just change. What do you want to change? Uh, what, you know, be, be more, pinpoint it more. And then if it, if it doesn't change, well, what's the person going to do? Are they going to slide back in to that old administrative job? Or if, let's say, you're a VP and you end up being a manager or you're a I mean, I've had EVPs who, or even CEOs who worked seven or eight grades below where they're supposed to be. Wow. Tony was one. He he went in and would have all these meetings with people about stuff that, you know, like the CEO, why are you doing this? Why do you care? Mm-hmm. Right. Going to right. So, okay. So the first thing is, is be honest and, you know, write a job description for what they're really going to be doing and don't say change if the company's, you know, honestly not ready to change. Yeah. If your company's been running for decades and it's been doing the same thing, you're not just going to flip the switch and change it. Yeah. That can happen. I, I, don't, I don't know if you got to this point um, in Chapter 18 yet as you're reading, but, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned this one chemical company, Abermarl or something. Anyway, yep. I looked up. I looked up when they started in business, you know, because you said I think they've been in business for like a century. So I looked it up. They've been in business since 1887. 
1887. They don't want to change. Right. <laughs> no, they they're making the same chemicals they're making in 1887. I'm sure they yeah. were. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so now we got an accurate job description. Now you're talking about sort of the interview process. And it says here, when you talk, find out who they really are, all right? What do you want them, what do you want, when you say find out who they really are, it's like you hired Ben and you didn't know who he was gay, obviously, because it doesn't really matter. But it's like, what are you looking to find out in terms of who they really are? Are they they really the person who's going to fit that job description? People say yes to almost anything. Oh, can you analyze? Yes. Can you do trigonometry? Yes. Could you build a rocket that could blow up North Korea? Of course. <laughs> I mean, anybody could do that. But yeah, it, right. there, there's so many yes questions. There's like behavioral interview questions and stuff. And it goes back to the whole psychology stuff. People do all these interviews and they all think they're psychologists and that they can determine if the person is good or bad. And, and I've gone through these meetings where they will sit there and they'll rate them on all these different behavioral interviews. I think they're great here, but they're weak here. I don't like their answer here. Who cares if you like their answer? I was hired at Advanced Auto Parts because a guy named Chris Popek. I was actually not supposed to be hired. I was rated low. And he said to him, you need to hire this guy. We have nobody who's technical here. We have nobody that can do Excel. This guy's going to clean all this crap up. And that's why they hired me for the press. Right. He, I mean, he right. saw that that's, that was the need of the company. And so when I interview, because I like to, I interview a lot of technical people, I'm fine on the phone. They can say the yes and how great they are and everything. When they come for the on-site interview, I tell them, I need you to bring examples. You know, if, you're, if you're an art major and you're, or an advertising exec and you're going to go they to another company, them. you bring a portfolio, right? Right. Sure. When did portfolios go out of style? They didn't. They, we stopped using them. So when Cynthia interviewed for me recently, uh, she brought her computer. I told her, bring the most complicated thing you've ever worked on. You can dummy it down if you want. I want you to take me through how you built it. I want you to show me the formulas. I want to know the process. I want to know every aspect of it. How you did your communication. And if they're, if they're really good, they can explain everything in about 10 minutes or less. And then you right. can see how their mind works. And it's not really, it's, it's probably the best behavioral <laughs> way to do it. You can figure out, right? It's like, how'd you do it? Why'd you do it this way? And every job has that. If you're a finance right. person, okay, bring your computer. Your finances, while they may not be public, or they might, we can have a non-disclosure and be confidential, I want to see what you did. I want to see how you did it. Because you can really see if they can do their stuff. I, and I know it's becoming a little more popular these days to, to give people a test and say, okay, here's an Excel file. Go build something. Well, you give them five or ten minutes to build it. Some people can build stuff really fast. Other people want to think through it. Do they give the right thing? Do they give the right dis- a display? So those aren't always good. I like to see what you've already done. And what's your big accomplishment? What makes you proud? What did you do to save the world? How would you build that rocket to kill Korea? I don't know. Find out. Right. How, um, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear it. How do you feel about sort of uh, personality assessments for hiring? I, I think personality assessments for hiring are built by people that have PhDs in psychology who couldn't get a real job. 
So <laughs> they can't get a real job. They go and they make leadership and personality assessments, and the people who are building these have never led anybody, and they're telling you how to lead people. Really? Okay. okay. I, I think that for hiring people, bad. Because they're, they're not accurate. I come out as an introvert every time I take one. He's an introvert because he likes to read books. I love to read really? books because I'm nosy. Oh, I'm a huge introvert. I, until I figured out how to do the Myers-Briggs, so I didn't, wasn't an introvert, I was a high I. Okay. The, the questions are, would you rather read a book or go to a party? Well, I don't like people, so I'm going to read a book. I don't want to interact with folks. If you're at a party, are you the center of attention, or are you the guy that kind of sits to the side, drinks a whiskey, and talks to one person? That's me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. So after all these questions, it's not that I'm an introvert. It's just, in my mind, I'm not an introvert. You don't think I'm an introvert, I don't think. I just don't like to be bothered with, like, petty, stupid things. And my bucket's already full. Why do I want more? Right, right. So, so I come out as an introvert. I think personality tests are better when you have a team and you've hired the people, because then it has open discussion. You can talk to the team, joke around about it. It builds the team up. Then people can say, that's not me. Mar Marcy, for example, we did one with Marcy. So mm -hmm. before I hired Marcy, Marcy had been with Advanced Auto Parts for over a decade, and then she quit to get her master's. And then she came back, and I hired her as a consultant, and they had to do a personality test on her. And on the test, it came up that she was a high risk of turnover that she doesn't like to stay with jobs for a long time. Like, okay, that's really interesting. So she was here for 10 years, and your personality test says she's not going to stay for a long time. <laughs> really? Right. Right. So that's why I say they're not good for hiring. They're really good for team building, if, if you like to team build or de-stressing, and just open conversation. And right. some of them, it's you take a, a hiring one, a Hogan, I guess is a big one, it'll give the interviewer things to ask questions about to get clarity about how they assess. But a test can't really predict what you're going to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I, yeah, I, I usually come up an introvert on those tests. And I probably am because, like you, I, I mean, I'd rather read a book than go to a party. And if yeah. I go to a party, I'd rather connect with one or two people than – be the person with the lampshade on their head, you know? Yeah. But when I go to social functions, especially business social functions, I always, like, go into the ladies' room and check my lipstick and whatever, and then I go look in the mirror and go, showtime, folks, you know? And I become, like, Miss Social Butterfly for, like, the hour or whatever that I'm there, you know? So I Same can do thing that. I do. I yeah. always check my lipstick. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> With men, it's like make sure your tie is straight if you're wearing a tie. Nobody yeah. wears ties anymore, but if you did, you know. So anyway, yeah. all right. Uh, oh, one of the questions that you uh, put on here when we, you know, kind of came up with the outline items last week is you said you often will ask people, what did you think of your last boss? All the time. Every time I do that. I ask them, what, not the last boss, but the last four or five bosses or if they have more, tell me about all your bosses. And just let's go and rate them. Is this your first boss, good or bad? And if they have more bad bosses than good bosses, chances are you're not going to be a good boss for them either. They just don't like bosses. Right. 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 So, <laughs> I mean, anyway. that's just a warning. 
If you if you feed a baby potatoes every day and they puke every day, you probably shouldn't feed them potatoes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so like red flag, red flag. If they hate all their old bosses, right? They're probably going to hate you too. So. Yeah, and and that gives me another uh, idea of what they're going to be like. On my team, we have an agreement. It's called stab from the front. We always stab from the front. We don't. Now what that means is. If I have an issue with what you're doing or how you're doing it or the product that you're producing, I don't go to someone else on the team, and I definitely don't go to anybody outside the team and tell them, well, this person's just not working out. They're not doing a great job. They suck. I go straight to you, and I say, you suck. You need to fix this stuff. This is killing me. Right. And it's direct feedback. Like the, the feedback is like the breakfast of champions. And then when you do that, then the team knows how everybody fits in. Everybody knows how they stand and what they need to improve on. If you go off the team, outside the team, and you start talking bad about your team, well, then you make the team look bad. The whole team, sure. not just that one person. Why would you want your team to look bad? There's lots of teams out there that look bad. Make your team look good so the focus is on other teams for being bad. Then people just have the, your team has a reputation of, well, we just go to this team for results and accuracy and the part stuff. As opposed to, right. oh, they're drama-filled. There's so much drama out there. Why would you want it on your team? Avoid that right. stuff. My, my boss, I think he already put this in the book, but my boss thought we were a cult. We weren't a cult. We hated each other sometimes. We'd fight in rooms, and then the next meeting would be coming up, so we would calm down. We'd walk out smiling like we just had a great meeting. And sometimes we'd end up going outside to yell at each other some more. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> was this the guy at the advanced auto park? That you recently, yeah, that, that you yeah. recently kind of made peace with, sort of. I wouldn't. We made peace, yeah, uh, Rich and I. We didn't make peace he on the calls and all like, that weird stuff. He said something like, "We did some great work together," or something like that. Yeah, and I responded back, and I said, "Yes, we did. I agree, we did." And I'm sure there's things that we could have handled differently that weren't so great, but I'm glad that we went through it so we can both grow. Right. 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 So anyway. Stab from the front. Okay. Most important thing you do. Most stab from the front. Okay. <laughs> stab from the front. Always stab from the front. Uh, I know like in chapter eighteen there's a there's a reference uh based on, you know, part of the conversation we had to like, you know, part of the reason why people gripe behind others' backs is because, you know, managers have an open door policy. So they yeah. just kind of swing by and they go, you know, John is a pain and he's He's not working with me and stuff like that instead of going and talking to John about it. You know? and, you, and you wasted the manager's time. You've made John look bad to the manager. What what value did you add to John, the company, or the manager? None. Like nothing. Yeah, nothing. So anyway, getting back to the hiring piece, um, it says here how on onboarding starts the day you post the job. So it sounds to me like you're saying there's sort of a progression of how the, the sanity starts, the onboarding starts the day you post the job. So tell me more about that. Okay, so when you post the job and people start reading it, you're onboarding them to the job and to your company. And depending on how you write the job, you, you're then telling them about your team, your company. And like a, there's, if you're reading the Solera's postings, it always starts with it talks about the company and the CEO and how great he is and the inventor and all this stuff. And if, when I read those, I'm like, this guy is full of himself. 
which he is. But it just, if I was from outside, like, why are they telling all me about Tony and about the company? I don't care about Tony company. I care about me. Mm-hmm. So, so if you if you write the job description correctly, I guess that we're we're looking for all this stuff so that you can connect with the person and they say yes, that's what I want to do, and then you put a little blurb about the company at the bottom. You don't need a huge blurb. There's this thing called Glassdoor. People are right. going to go out to Glassdoor and find out about your company anyways. You don't need to spend a page and a half bragging about it. Right. So it starts with accuracy, right? Yeah, accuracy is a job. Right. Okay. Okay. So the rest of the process of onboarding, it's like, okay, you post the job, right? People respond mm-hmm. to the posting. Are you talking about posting like um, in like CareerBuilder or Monster.com? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, like that? Well, there's different ways to post. There's always the online posting, right? And then, <laughs> then there is the, the more common posting that people have is the unposted ones that you hear from friends or relationships you have with people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think, think so-and-so has a job open. You might want to yeah. look into it. Yeah. So technically, these people are, are your, I mean, your advocates. I used to work in this company, and I, I saw they had a job opening that might be great for you. Or I talked to somebody who said there's a job opening. I was talking to my old boss. I get those those calls all the time. People say, hey, we have a, a VP to rewards job opening. Interested? Mm-hmm. I mean, but they say they, they're coming to me for it. So I, I think those right. postings are a little more honest because those people have the background. But for the, right. the other postings, the online postings, you just don't have that background or that emotional connection. So, so step one, you post, post a job and give a little information about the company. Right. So now you have all these applications and all these resumes, and mm-hmm. you know you got to go through them and decide, okay, which ones are you going to bother to have an interview with them? Rather, whether it's a phone interview or for the first one, or they're coming in, or you know, that's, so that's how do you do that thinking sanity in your mind? You know, you you, you you've missed a complete step there, a huge oh, I'm step. Sorry. What's that? So the, the the step you missed is I think most companies miss is when somebody applies for your job, they took time out of their day to brush up their resume, to research your company, to do all kinds of stuff about the company. They sent you a resume. The first thing you should do is thank them that you got their resume and you'll talk to them later or you'll reach out to them if it fits or something. Even if it's an automated message. A lot of companies don't do that. So people think their resume got in la-la land. Right. At least you took the time to, that, that sets your brand up. Oh, these people are, are good with communication. Sure, sure. Everybody who's ever sent me a resume has always gotten a thank you letter from me. Okay. Or a quick note says, hey, thank you for sending it. Now, those are resumes that come direct to me. If they go to the recruiter and the recruiter find, sends me resumes for me to interview, I don't do it. But if somebody has taken the time to hunt me down and send me a resume, I respond back to them. Okay. Okay. All right. So it starts with the thank you. Then you got all of them, you know, let's say, I don't know, you got 20, 30 resumes and everything. Now you're thinking sanity in your mind and deciding which ones you're going to talk to, right? Yep. Okay. And and so what you're looking for is their qualifications. You know, do they, do they fit technically the job mm-hmm. with an honest job description? Yes? Yes. Correct. Okay. Good. And, you know, I, it's funny because I talk to people who do 
like a first interview, and often the first interview is on the phone, not in person. Do you yeah, ever do that? I do it on the What's phone that? first. No, I do it on the phone first. Okay. And the first thing I do when I look at resumes, since my big thing is accuracy, mm-hmm. I look at the resume for accuracy. If you've got spelling errors and punctuation errors and it comes across sloppy, I ain't going to talk to you. You just showed me a work product that you've had months to put together, and that's the best you can do. Right. 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 So anyway, okay, so that's one way of weeding them out is, is it, you know, is yes. the application of the resume accurate for starters, right? Yeah, so that's, that's the first way I weed. I can get rid of 25% of the people that way. Oh, that's really sad. You know, it is. I mean, not that you're, I mean, you have to have a basis to get rid of them, but that's really sad that people are so, um, you know, just kind of unaware that they, yeah. um, I think people got bad advice a long time ago. That they said somebody said you need to craft your resume to fit the job that they're hiring for. And I think that what that's done is everybody's applying for a ton of jobs, and they have a ton of different resumes. Why not have one or two resumes and then go find the job that fits your resume? Then you have a great resume. Right. You have a better right. chance of getting a job than, I don't know. I'm trying to find a better word than flooding your resume out, but uh, what was right. it? spamming your resume out, I guess. Right. What I've heard is that um, in the world of job hunting today, there's like certain keywords and things like that that, like, if you don't include those in your resume, you're automatically filtered out. Yeah, and I, I see that. And I, I we've used those systems before, so it's important to have. Like, so if you're looking to be a I don't know, an advertising marketing person. You probably should have marketing. You probably should have advertising and just the the common keywords for your industry, which I think every resume has. Right. Personally, I think, okay. and I don't know if we can put this in here, but this is more like getting hired thing is all my jobs I've had, except for one, I've gotten through my network. Or I've known somebody at the company, or I've known the hiring manager. So that's really what gets you the job, more than blindly applying for jobs. Now, who do you know? Mm-hmm. Can you connect with them? Right. So now you've you've had a phone conversation with them, right? Mm-hmm. And are you asking them some of the same questions in the phone conversation uh, as yeah. you'll ask them when they come in? Okay. And I ask, do you do no, what? I ask everybody the same questions. When I when I put my questions together, I'll put like 20 or 30 questions that I'm interested in and tailor it down to a one-hour conversation. And uh, I will then ask everybody the exact same questions. That way I can compare them. Okay. So then you have the same basis of comparison. For everybody, yep. For everyone. Okay, good. And then do you do like a series of interviews or how does that work? I I only allow people, and when I'm interviewing people, to interview them if they have an impact on the role. I know some people put together these, like, these hiring committees, but if the person interviewing the candidate has nothing to do with your department or your craft or your specialties, then why are they interviewing them? Why are they yeah, even decision makers? Does that happen a lot? Oh, yeah, all the time. 
That makes no sense at all. <laughs> True. I mean, it, it happens. There's, there's always that, like, one person. I remember we we used to interview at Advance, and there's this really nice lady, Sue Ladau, a really nice lady. And she, she was so nice that she was always in interviews. And I used to think, why is she in HR interviews? <laughs> she doesn't do HR. She she is one of our producers who would say, hey, we have these HR programs, go write a, a description for it or market it to our people. But that was all that she did. She she shouldn't be in there making tactical decisions on who to hire. Right. And then what um, what happens different in a second interview? One, you bring them in and you have a chance to look them in the eye and shake hands and stuff like that. But yep. what happens different? So, um, and I, I know a lot of people use this trick. It's like one of my funnest tricks in the world. Is I they come in and I and I make sure they sit down in the front office for like five or ten minutes, and then whatever the assistant is, hopefully you have a good relation with them. Um, I'm always interested in how they're going to interact with with the assistants, with a receptionist, because that's going to give me an idea of are they big headed. If you're interviewing for a VP role and you're you're too important to be nice to the person making eight dollars an hour, you probably don't belong in my company. Right. So that's my that's my first thing. Uh, the other things that I, I do is I you know, give them a little quick tour and I watch how they interact with people. You know that that your first impression stuff to see what they say, how they conduct themselves. Then I'll interview them one on one. I love one on one interviews. Uh, not a big fan of group interviews, because I think that's I don't know the, the group. I'm the hiring manager. I want to know if they're going to be able to work. If you can, if they're going to be able to add value to you. Right. Right. Okay. There's nothing uh, wrong with it. You just scare the person. Are you trying to scare the person or are you trying to hire the right person? Right. So the last thing I think we had on the, um, you know, on the outline was, you know, when they come on board, you got to be straight up with them about, like, what they're walking into in terms of... Is that kind of the interview stage? You should, if they're on site, you should tell them that stuff. Not while they're on board. Not, not while they're the first day on the job. If they're talking to me in my office and they're interviewing for the job, I should be direct and honest with, okay, just to let you know this job you're interviewing for, it's an analyst role, our data's hosed up, uh, the people in HRAS, they're doing their best to get stuff together, but we're not to the point where it's it's the most accurate yet. We need a lot of help there. I mean, it's going to be painful your first three to six months. That's when you tell them. Don't wait till they walk through the door because they may not want to come. Right, right, okay. And the other thing that you do, we want to put in the book here too, is after they leave and they're on their way home and they've left my office, they left everything, I send them another thank you letter and I say, hey, thanks for taking the time out of the day to come here. I always find it interesting that the companies are so self-centered that they think, oh, well, the candidate needs to send us a thank you letter because we're taking time to interview them. And I think that's so wrong because you're the company. You want them. They don't want you. You're trying to bring them over. Most of these people have jobs. Have some manners. Right. Probably say, hey, thanks for coming to the interview. I know you took time out of your day. I enjoyed our conversation about this. Uh, I'll keep you posted on how things are going. And then right. they're shocked. Like, wow, okay. you sent me a thank you there. What would you say are, like, closing thoughts about hiring for sanity? Closing thoughts for hiring for sanity. 
Um, let's see. Closing thoughts. Right job description, honesty on the job, at your face-to-face, -face, honesty on what it really is like. Don't, don't give them the song and the dance. Um, I, think, I don't know if we talked about this before, but when, when I interviewed the guy who used to work at that bad company, he said that he was brought in, he thought it was all balloons and candy land, only to find out on his first day that it was horrible and the people were mean to each other and yelled and they screamed, and all they could say to him is, welcome to the company. Right, right. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. Um, and there's things the onboarding, and we didn't, we didn't really touch much on that, but onboarding starts with the job, and then part of your onboarding is, you know, those thank you letters, I think, from the company are very important. When somebody, let's say you have somebody coming in from out of town, and they're going to do a home search or something, that's part of your onboarding. Find out who their kids are. Find out what they, the kids like. Put a little welcome basket together. Slide it into the room. Make it feel so, that, so they're welcome, and it's part of the onboarding. Now, if your company's filled with a bunch of idiots, then maybe that's not the right thing for you to do. Mm -hmm. Be honest with them. Right, right, okay. All right, good. I babble anything, too much. Anything else that you think is um, important regarding onboarding for sanity? Um, onboarding for sanity is... Um, um, you I were going to put uh, that story about, like, welcome to Solera after the guy goes in the meeting and, you know, you were going to put that in the, uh, I think, chapter, uh, the chapter on the health of your organization. Okay, that's fine. And, yeah. So, anyway. Okay. I guess the, the onboarding is, as we talk about honesty and stuff, you also need to set the expectation how the employee is to, to act on the team. And I'm always, as we talked about, stabbing from the front. If somebody comes in and they're timid, they think you're the boss and the boss is always right, don't upset the boss, well, that's not for my team. I want you to upset me. I want you to tell me I'm doing things wrong because if I don't know, I can't get better. I want you sure. to stab me from the front. So in my first day with the person, I, I tell them that. I say, you, you're, we're not going to agree all the time. I don't pay you to agree with me. I pay you to be accurate. If we don't agree, we need to talk about it. You need to call me out. And a lot of people are like a little timid at that because they've never been given that permission. And then maybe sure. the thing that I guess permission is probably the best word is give them permission to disagree, permission to change things, permission to you know, change, challenge the status quo is a little cliche, but that's what you want them to do. Right. That's where you hired them. Right. Yeah. Well, to shake things up a little bit. So, okay. All righty. Well, there we go. We did it. <laughs> okay. I, I think so. I babbled way too much on this chapter, but whatever you can come up with, Cool. Hopefully okay. you can streamline me down. <laughs> That's the right. main thing. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Okay. Well, let's schedule a time to talk next week. Okay. I'm not sure what we'll talk about, but let's set the set the time aside, see how you're coming along with, you know, the changes and, and everything that you're going through and um all that. Um, okay. How does Thursday of next week, look. That's fine. Just same time, same bat channel. Work for me. Okay, we did actually work time. on the book. Okay, good. And how are you coming along with kind of going through things? I need to get back on it. I, I haven't made much progress. But it's, it's on my list. I'm really going to do it. 
Okay. Well, the thing is, is, you know, you might have seen in the email I sent you earlier this morning, it's like wherever you're at with it now, finish up whatever chapter you, you're on and go to version two because, like, the okay. numbering of the chapters has changed and everything like that. Okay. I can do that. Okay. I'm in chapter four still. But, yeah, okay. I can do that. All right. Yeah. So Fun. just wrap up. Whenever you're done wrapping up chapter four, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can send me what you've done. I mean, is it like printed out and this is like, you know, with a red pen, or is it like in track changes or? Which way would you like it to be? Um, it's easier for me if it's like in track changes. Okay, good. That's how I'm doing it. Okay, good. I think you said that last week. I was just double checking. You yep. know, because I know you said like you printed the whole thing out, and it's like. Oh boy, if he does it with a red pen, then we got to go from red pen back into the document, you know, then back to me, and you know, it's just more steps. So yeah, I'm I'm more sophisticated okay. than that. I got, I got track changes on. <laughs> I'm I'm glad. I'll tell you what. I spent uh, I spent time with a new book coaching client yesterday, explaining how to use spell check to him. You know, so oh. anyway, yeah. I always like yeah, well, I forgot what book it was, but one one guy said in his book, if there's a little squiggly line under under a word, there's probably something wrong with it. Look at it. Right, right. Not always. Not always. Sometimes, you know, I mean, it, it is a red flag. Look at it. But, you know, sometimes you override it, you know. So, yeah. anyway, this this guy is a retired police officer. So, you know, he just hasn't been in the world of, of Word and Excel and all that kind of stuff. So. Anyway, yeah. all right, I will talk to you Thursday of next week, 10 o'clock, and uh, we'll we'll go from there, and I'll be working on this chapter. Perfect. All right, we'll talk to you then. Have fun. I'll catch you later. Okay. Well, have right, a bye-bye. great rest of your week. Yeah, see ya. Okay, bye-bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.